Well, I do just want to thank our, our worship team one more time. Just thank you guys so much. And Kenny, you, uh, you're really annoying to me, actually. Tri- triple threat guy. We're going to miss you a lot. Uh, well, uh, how many of you, you just heard the scripture, how many of you came excited today to learn about the Jewish ritual purity laws in the Bible? Right? You're like, yeah, I want to hear about being uh, unclean, being dirty, uh, being smelly and unkempt. That's what I want. See, I thought, in my mind, I thought, well, it's Father's Day. It's the perfect time to talk about all those things. It's, I couldn't think of anything more appropriate. So may, maybe, you, maybe you are excited. Uh, maybe you aren't. By your laughter, I'm guessing most of you aren't. Um, it's easy to, to read a text like that. Um, in the Old Testament or the New Testament, frankly, and, and be bored right off the bat. It's, it's like, I don't really care what first century Jews thought about the Old Testament purity laws and, and what could be eaten and when and why and how. And it's, and it's easy to think uh, that this is an antiquated problem. This, this is not relevant to my life. This, this isn't interesting to me. If that's kind of, when you were hearing that, if that's where you were, I, I get it. Uh, but if you're thinking that now, if, if you think this has nothing to do with you or your life. Matthew is putting it here because he believes otherwise. See, Matthew thinks that this has a profound implication on your life, no matter what country or century you happen to be born in. And and here's what I think this text teaches us today. Here's what we're going to talk about. First, that we know we're unclean. We know we're unclean. And I'll I'll explain why in, in, in a minute. We know we're unclean. Second, we can't actually make ourselves clean, no matter how hard we try. What we do doesn't work. And third, only Jesus can cleanse us. That's what this text is. We're unclean. We can't clean ourselves. He offers to make us clean. If you haven't turned to Matthew 15, do that now. We're going to start in verse 1. So the first thing you really, that really pops out at you in this text is that we, have, we, we do. We have this profound sense that we're unclean. The Pharisees and scribes and the Jews of the first century certainly did. Uh, this is at the heart of the story of Matthew 15 that you just heard read, and and here's how it begins. I'll remind you one more time in verse one. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, this isn't like when grandma tells you to wash your hands before you eat, okay? This isn't a germ problem. It is, as as I joked earlier, it's about ritual purity before God. There's this whole set of rules in the Old Testament they're called the purity laws, uh, that basically, they, they, told you, they told the Jews there are certain things that if you touch or if you eat or, or, or if you come in contact with, they make you ritually unclean. Not literally, sorry, sorry about that. Not literally unclean, but, but ritually, symbolically unclean. So let, let me just give you a few examples just so you can wrap your mind around this. So if you, if you had certain infectious skin diseases or you came in contact with that, if you touched a dead body, whether human or, or otherwise, if you ate something that was not kosher, if you came into contact uh, with mildew in, in your home, your clothes touch it or your hands touch it, if you had certain kinds of bodily discharge like bleeding, uh, chronic bleeding, that, that could make you ritually unclean. There's all these laws about it in the Old Testament. What is, so what does that mean? It, it means that until you're cleansed, this is kind of the big picture, until you're cleansed, 
there were certain ways to be cleansed, but until you were cleansed, you were not to come near God's sanctuary. You were not to come near God's temple. If you're unclean until you're, until you're made clean, you are not to come near to God. Now that all sounds, again, it sounds weird to, to modern people. We don't kind of think in those categories, but it's not really weird when you, when you stop and think about it. Because we all know what it's like uh, to be in the presence of someone whose opinion is very important. And we know, what, what, we know all the preparation that goes into how you dress and how you appear and how you smell, right? I mean, okay, if you're, when you're going on a date, I, I think you shower uh, and, and you put deodorant on. If you didn't know that, you put deodorant on. Um, <laughs> you pick out a nice outfit, you want to look, why? You're, you're cleansing yourself. You're making yourself presentable to this other person. You don't want to be unclean. You don't want to be unfit in front of this other person. They're important to you. Okay, this is the same thing for the Jewish people, except in the Jewish worldview, what you're actually doing is you're approaching the holiest, most perfect, most powerful, most important being in the universe when you do that. That's why these purity laws are so important to the Jewish people, the Pharisees excuse me, the Pharisees and the scribes. You begin to understand why. And when you look at it that way, it's not hard to understand why they did these things. But, and you, you see it in the story, the Pharisees and the scribes, just like always, if you've, if you've been in the book of Matthew with us for a while, this will not surprise you. They were particularly OCD about these, these purity laws. See, they had to add a, a hedge of protection. They had to make laws about the laws just to make sure you didn't ever break these. Those were the traditions of the elders, these things that they established. This is what you do to not accidentally break one of God's laws. And, and for them, the Old Testament, it didn't go far enough. They needed more clarity. So they added hand washing to the list of do's and don'ts for the common Jewish faithful. Now, there is no Old Testament law for the common Jewish person about washing their hands. For the, for the priests, for the, for the, for the people who, who handled holy things, they were to wash their hands before doing so. But for the common Jewish people, that was not the case. Uh, but the Pharisees and scribes taught that this is what you had to do. So I actually wanted, so I brought this up here. This is basically what this looked like, as far as we can tell. Um, you, would, you would come to a place of washing like this, and you would, if you had any rings, you would remove those and take those off. I lost my wedding ring, so I don't have that. Um, I know, sad, right? Way to go, Andrew. So I, uh, <laughs> Becca's not here yet. I won't say that second service, but... Uh, I don't want a reminder of that. But you take your, any, anything else on your hands, you take it off. Uh, if you had any like noticeable dirt or uncleanness on your hand, you would take care of that first. You'd get rid of that. And then what you would do is you would take the, a, a cup and you would, you would start with your dominant hand. So for me, that's right. You'd start at the wrist and you'd pour it down and you would do that twice. And then you would actually do the same thing. So your non-dominant hand, twice. Just like that you would actually end up doing that uh, three more times for each hand. Two more times for each hand, three times total. And then while, while they're clean, you, you, would, you would hold them kind of chest high, waist high, up like this. And you would pray a blessing to God. Uh, and then you would, of course, you would eventually wipe your hands and then you were free to eat. So that's essentially what they would do. And, and now these Pharisees and scribes, they're coming up from Jerusalem and this is what they're accusing Jesus of not doing. Saying, you're not, you're not doing this and you're not teaching your disciples to do this. 
In fact, this is, notice, this is the first time in Matthew we see opponents of Jesus from Jerusalem. So Jesus has been in the north in Galilee for most of this book. His enemies have been in the north. But now there's this, it's like there's this delegation sent from the national religious leaders from Jerusalem to Galilee. Okay, if you're in Jerusalem, you didn't want to go to Galilee. It's like going from, you know, well, I'll just defend someone. I won't say that. Uh, <laughs> no one wanted to go there. So they sent this delegation. It's a 31-hour trip, roughly, to get from Jerusalem up there. It's a long way to go to tell someone, you're not washing your hands. Your hands are dirty. Now, Jesus goes on here to point out to them, he says, all these extra rules, you're end, you end up breaking other rules of God by adding these rules. That's a theme we've talked a lot about already. So I don't want to, it's called Korban, what he's referencing here, this, this law. I don't, I don't really want to get into that right now. But what I don't want us to miss is, is not so much on, on, on this first point, not so much that where he differs with the Pharisees. We're going to get to that. What I want to focus on here is what he agrees with them on. You see, Jesus debates how we become unclean and how to, get, how to get clean. He has very different opinions on that. What he does not debate with them is that we are unclean. doesn't debate that at all. That we have no business being in the presence of God as we are because we are unfit. On that, he and the religious leaders of his day, they are in complete agreement. And again, as modern people, this may, this may be hard for us to, to accept or, or it's, it's easy uh, to dismiss that as a traditional pre-modern problem. We're not unclean. That's not, I, I would never say. It's easy to look at this, right, this hand washing that I just did and say, well, I didn't need Jesus to tell me that that doesn't do anything for my life. I, I knew that. So, so, so much of the religion of the past, right, it's shame-based and it's meant to make you feel bad in front of God and we've moved past all that. If there is a God, he should be accepting and loving because that's the right thing to do. Now, I know I'm caricaturing a little bit, but maybe, maybe that's where you are. You're just, this doesn't make any sense to you. And, and yet, here's the point. This sense of uncleanness, it still haunts us. Even if we intellectually reject it, we just know deep down that we're unclean. We don't put it that way, but we sense it. And I, I flagged an article a long time ago, maybe 06 or 08, or it's from the New York Times. It was called Study Finds That Washing Eases Guilty Conscience. Uh, these, these were behavioral researchers in the University of Toronto. And they did these experiments to demonstrate what they ended up <laughs> naming the Macbeth effect. <laughs> right? If you've read Shakespeare's Macbeth, you know Lady Macbeth conspires to commit murder, and then she's got this blood stain on her hands, right? That she can't, it's in her mind's eye, it's not real, but she can't get rid of it. She has that famous line, out damn spot. And the whole, she basically loses her mind from the guilt. And it manifests as unclean hands. So they called it the Macbeth effect. Anyway, one of the experiments they did, among many, this one stood out to me, is they, would, they took two groups of students they had one group intentionally recall in their own lives some kind of unethical act, betraying a friend, lying, stealing, something like that. And another group they had reflect on, on a noble act, like returning lost money, something, something like that. And afterwards, after they did that, they, they, they presented each student with the same choice of, of a gift to leave with. One was like a fancy pencil, 
and one was a pack of antiseptic wipes. So you pick. And the students that had thought of an unethical act were twice as likely to take the antiseptic wipes. And that was one of many studies they did, experiments they did. We have, for the most part, okay, as a culture, we have rejected the, the um, not the idea of guilt, but the, the uh, legitimacy of it. Uh, we don't talk about eternal reward and punishment much anymore. Uh, we don't, even to a certain extent, talk about absolute right and wrong. Those are kind of antiquated concepts, but we still cannot escape. And this is why Jesus is so powerful here, this profound sense that I, I am not clean. I'm not worthy. There's something wrong with me. And I, I don't, we don't have the categories for it anymore. But we still choose the antiseptic wipes. We know that if, we're, we, we know that if someone were to truly look at our lives, inspect us, examine us, we would be rejected. If not by God, then by somebody else. And so we spend as a culture this tremendous amount of effort and time and money to prove to ourselves and to others that we're worthy and that we're clean. It's, 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 you know, you, you see, it's why we can't say no when we should. It's why we can't take a day off when we should. It's why we're, we're all so deeply discontent with ourselves. It's why many medicate with things like alcohol or food or TV or whatever, distractions. It's why we're so lonely, but we're still terrified to let anyone truly know us so we manage people's perceptions all the time. And we don't often talk about it this way, but we know that we are not acceptable just the way we are. We know it. And we spend a lifetime trying to prove that we're something that we're not. And, and no matter how hard we try, we cannot make ourselves clean. And this is Jesus. This, we cannot cleanse ourselves. We feel it, but we can't do anything about it. And, and this is Jesus' real point in, in this whole story. Okay, so he, call, so he calls out the Pharisees and scribes in verses 8 and 9. He says, you're hypocrites, which he's done now several times uh, in the book of Matthew. Then he turns to the crowd and he says, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. And then a little later in verse 17, he says directly to his disciples, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is a very profound statement Jesus is making. Jesus says it's what's inside your soul, what is in your heart, that makes you unclean. And the external observance, ritual purity, does not deal with the heart. And he actually puts it really graphically. Maybe your Bible is telling you that. He says, <laughs> it, whatever you eat goes into your stomach and then it goes into the toilet. That's what he literally says. He says, whatever food you eat, whether you're, it's, you cleaned your hands or not, it has the same fate. A Ruth's Chris steak and a McDonald's Happy Meal, they go to the same place. Right? <laughs> I'll leave it at that. It might, have, <laughs> it might have changed your cholesterol, <laughs> but it does not affect your spiritual core, your heart, as Jesus puts it. And, and Jesus is saying, 
here's what's so profound. He is saying that the human problem, the human problem, the reason for our collective suffering and misery that you see every day all over the world, our deep sense of inadequacy, our general ability to screw things up that we care about, it's not out here. It's not out here. That problem is not because we haven't found the right political system. It's not because we haven't educated people well enough. It's not because we haven't found the right technology yet to make life better, or that we haven't introduced the right legislation yet. It's not because of what we do here. Jesus says the fundamental human problem is here. It's right here. It's in you, and it's in me. Notice Jesus says, not into the heart come evil thoughts that then corrupt us. No, out of the heart. Out of the heart comes murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and lies and slander. And Jesus says to the Pharisees and to his disciples, he says, no amount of soap and water can deal with that. We're like, the, the image, right, of clean, of this clean image, it's like we're contaminated. We have to be quarantined from God. We can't be in the same space as him because of our sin. We're separated because of our uncleanness. That's the human condition. You see, the Pharisees, they're convinced that you, that, that you became dirty if you, if you, if you touch something dirty. You, you could become dirty if you weren't careful. Watch out. Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's way worse than that. He says, you, you can't become dirty. You, you are dirty. You are unclean. And that's a problem you cannot solve by yourself. And my hope is that by now you're beginning to see that, what the, the, that we do, we do, in our own ways, exactly what the Pharisees were prescribing for this problem. We're still telling one another, you're unhappy because you haven't properly washed your hands. And we all deal with this differently, but Jesus, Jesus says no matter what we do, it will not work. Okay, we cannot cleanse ourselves. I just want to give you a couple examples. Number one, this is one we've talked about a lot in the book of Matthew, but it's worth repeating. You cannot cleanse yourself with religion and obedience. Like the Pharisees are trying to do so desperately. We cannot cleanse ourselves by going to church and reading our Bibles and living a moral life and abstaining from certain movies and music and books or people or whatever. We cannot observe all the conservative Christian tradition of the elders. We have those too. Like the Pharisees were doing, all the stuff we add to being a Christian and expect God to accept us and love us on that basis. That doesn't work because it bypasses the heart and is expelled from our lives. And if you find yourself, here's a, if you find yourself angry at God when bad things happen, I deserve better than this God, I did X, Y, Z. Or you're anxious around God, like you can't measure up, like every moral failure, every spiritual failure puts you back on God's naughty list. <laughs> that might be a sign that you're trying to use religion to cleanse yourself to make yourself presentable. And if you're in, even if you're, just to be transparent, in my own, even in full-time vocational ministry, this is a problem. I can be preaching to you a sermon on legalism, which is what I'm doing. 
all the while hoping for your approval and your applause, because if you like me, then God likes me. This is, pastors struggle with that all the time, all the time. That's how universal this is. That's how subtle it is. It's very, it's very dangerous. Maybe you're not religious. You wouldn't use that term. Uh, but you also, uh, we can cleanse ourselves with performance. It's another way of looking at it. It's the same game that religious people play. It's just a different set of rules. You, you cannot get good enough grades. You cannot get enough raises at work. You cannot have the perfect children and family. You cannot be the perfect husband or wife. You cannot have enough money or success in the world to cleanse yourself. This is not a religious person's problem. This is a human person's problem. And I'll prove it to you. This is a famous quote of hers, but I'll prove it to you. Madonna. Is there anyone in the last 40 years who represents a rejection of traditional religious moral value than Madonna? No, she like invented it, right? It's like that's her thing. She said this about her own life, and many people have used it. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me. It's pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. See, you cannot cleanse yourself with success. Ask successful people. They'll tell you. It doesn't work. And if you cannot cleanse yourself with success, you cannot cleanse yourself with physical beauty. I want to bring this one up because I think it's a particularly American thing, especially for young people. And, but even when you're, it doesn't go away. By young people, I don't mean it goes away. I just think this is something in our face all the time. And uh, Tim Keller, he, he's got this great quote from Christina Kelly, and I just, I just had to steal it. She's a former editor um, from, of several magazines that are, that are targeted to young women. And I just have to read it in its entirety because she says it so much better than I do. She says, why do we have celebrities? That's a big part of her job. She says, here's my theory. To be human is to feel inconsequential. So we worship celebrities and seek to look like them. All the great things they've done we identify with in order to escape our own inconsequential lives. But it's so dumb. With this stream of perfectly airbrushed, implanted liposuction stars, you would have to be an absolute powerhouse of self-esteem already not to feel totally inferior before them. So we worship them because we feel inconsequential, but doing it makes us feel even worse. We make them stars, but their fame makes us insignificant. She concludes, I am a part of this whole process as an editor. No wonder I feel soiled at the end of the day. Right? We, now listen, that, my hunch is, you, that did not surprise you at all. You were like, yeah, a magazine editor? Yeah. There's, are they manipulating? Are they trying to sell something to us? Absolutely. We know that. And yet so many of us are living our lives as if we can be clean, if we can just be pretty. Then we'll be acceptable and loved and nurtured. Jesus says, no, no. No amount of outside can change inside. It doesn't work. And you know, you know what? After I mean, you, that list, we could keep doing that, ways we do that. But here's what I want. Here's the main point. Religion, success, beauty, whatever. You know what we're doing? We're doing this. That's all we're doing. Right? Same thing. 
Same thing. Nothing's changed. And it doesn't work. And our attempts to make ourselves clean, they are utterly futile. This is, this is Jesus' teaching. He says, you can't, you can't do it. He doesn't come out and say this here. But he's, he does, Matthew is giving us a clue for anyone paying attention to Jesus' ministry and his story so far, he's giving us, a, there's a promise that Jesus has come to offer a cleansing. That Jesus has come to offer a solution to this basic human problem. Remember we said earlier, all the things that can make, potentially <clears throat> make a Jewish person unclean, uh, ritually. We listed a few like touching a dead body or touching a person with a skin disease or, ha- or having a skin disease or uh, touching a person with a bodily discharge, like, like chronic bleeding, or eating with unclean food that a Gentile would eat. Remember, it's all that stuff. And if you were contaminated in any way, you could not come near to God until you were cleansed, until it was dealt with. Right? In other words, no, uh, just stick with me here. The biblical pattern for this whole set of laws is that unclean trumps clean. If you come in contact with something unclean and you touch it, it makes you unclean, you see. It trumps your cleanness. Now look at Jesus and his life. In Matthew 9, he touches a dead girl. She's raised from the dead. While he's on his way to do that, a woman with chronic bleeding, Matthew's very clear to tell us that, for 12 years, touches him. And she is healed. He's constantly with tax collectors and Gentiles. The Pharisees hated that because they're unclean. Always with them. They didn't observe the purity laws as far as we know. He allowed sinners and prostitutes and all manner of people to touch him and to come near him. And perhaps most tellingly in the book of Matthew is Matthew 8 where a leper approaches him Now, lepers had it particularly bad because their skin disease made them unclean for life. There's no cure. There's no way to get rid of that. You you are always removed from the whole temple and that whole structure and people didn't want to touch you. So this leper comes to Jesus. His leper is unclean. And Jesus says to him, what? He doesn't say, be healed. He says, be clean. Be clean. I am making you clean. Is Jesus disobeying? No. He's fulfilling the law. You see, with Jesus, the biblical pattern is reversed. He makes us clean. He he goes to unclean things and touches them and makes them clean. In the Old Testament, when you were unclean, you, you had to be sent outside the, the camp to be purified. You couldn't be around other people. You might contaminate them too. And the author of Hebrews tells us that when Jesus was crucified, when he was sacrificed on our behalf, he didn't just take our sin, he took our uncleanness. He took our unworthiness. And he, not us, was sent outside the city of God. Outside Jerusalem, where the dead bodies are burned, where unclean things are thrown, where he died to make us clean again. 
It's why he says through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. It's why we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed us white as snow. And Matthew doesn't come out and say it and Jesus doesn't come out and say it, but the message is very clear. There was a time when you needed to be clean to come to God. But God does a new thing in Jesus Christ. He is God come near. He's God come down. He's God come to you to make you clean. There's no stain so ingrained. No blemish so deep. No sin so shameful that his cleansing touch cannot heal you. That's the promise. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stop. And I want us to close our eyes. Close your eyes. And And I want you to think about your hands as a metaphor for your life. What uncleanness is there? What's there that you, you hope no one ever finds? What are things you've done that you hope no one ever knows? What has made your hands dirty? And I want us to take a minute and ask this question over those things as you meditate on them. Ask this question, Jesus, we are not worthy of you. We are unclean people. But if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus says to you, Jesus says back to you, when you put your faith in him to save, he says this now and forever over your life. He says, I am willing. Be clean. Be clean. Let's pray. Father, thank you for coming near, not simply to show us how deep our problem is, how thorough our uncleanness is, but to offer to us a cleansing unlike anything else. And so, Father, I ask for all here, for those who know you and those who do not, that in your mercy you would draw us all to yourself in this moment. And, Father, do what only you can do. Make in us a clean heart, O God. Amen.